The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. Welcome along to another bumper episode of The Boys of Tech, a weekly tech podcast where we chew the fat over the latest tech stories. This is episode 141 for the week beginning Monday the 7th of November 2011. There are two of us here. I'm Edwin Herman. I'd also like to welcome along to the panel, Brett King. Howdy. Hello, and how are you this week? Ah, pretty good, pretty good. I tell you what, it was a great week here in Wellington. Uh, sorry, a great weekend, I should say, here in Wellington. KiwiCon was on, and it's actually new, not only the best hacker conference out there, but it's also now New Zealand's third largest IT conference. Excellent. What's the first? Microsoft TechEd in Auckland. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, but then there's there's another one. I forget what it is. I think it's a developer conference of some sort also held in Auckland. I forget the name. Number three is KiwiCon right here in Wellington. And of course, this weekend's uh, KiwiCon or this year's KiwiCon that happened this weekend was a good one for me because that's where I presented my talk on steganography in front of 600 pairs of eyes. Excellent. And it was at the um, Opera House this time. It's usually held at Victoria University of Wellington, but uh, they've kind of grown too big for their boots, these guys, and they can't put, there's no venue at the university for 600 people. (laughs) 350 is the biggest, so. Indeed. So anyway, that was great, and uh, the talk was really well received. I was was happy with that. Had a couple of follows on Twitter, which I noticed later on Sunday evening, and the timestamp shows that they initiated the follow about five minutes into my talk. <laughs> so they were listening to you and they had their iPhones or their iPads or their uh, Android devices, which is more likely. Yeah, well, I mean, my Twitter details didn't even appear to the last slide. And of course, this was before that. But i tell you what, though, you'll be surprised how many Apple gear was there. <laughs> iPhones were really popular. And mm. about, I don't know, I think about, say, 40% maybe of the speakers had, uh, had I, uh, you know, Apple laptops. It's, wow. it's really, yeah, it's not much Windows. It's, it's either Apple or, or Linux, it tends to be. Yeah, well, well, you know, true hardcore geeks will have some sort of Unix system. And that's really what an Apple machine is. Macintosh these days is nothing more than a fancy GUI on top of a Unix you know, substrate. Except there's one small difference, that Unix substrate is quite insecure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you know, not as good as Linux or as one of the flavors of Linux. Well, yeah, Apple do have a long way to go. And in fact, uh, you know, one of them that was uh, you know, using, using a Mac was actually uh, attacking the Mac and he was showing you all the things uh, that, well, not all the things, but he's showing a particular attack that he's, uh, 
He's found, and and you know, it's some of the the talks this year were absolutely great, absolutely great. And also this time round, there was a wider spread. It wasn't just the hardcore stuff. There was the fringe stuff, a bit like well, steganography. There you go. There's a sort of a fringe talk there already. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure yours was the best there, Edwin. Oh, you're too kind. But you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like the hardcore hacking sort of talk. Uh, mm. You know, the real real techo talk. And so we had kind of a variety. It was all sort of you know a bit more spread out. The uh, the subjects so that was good awesome you'll have to go one year I will I will I completely forgot about it this year well I did mention it a little while ago but indeed but far too long ago <laughs> that's a problem <laughs> yeah you didn't mention it last week or the week before <laughs> oh well there you go Anyway, so that was KiwiCon here in Wellington uh, and if you want to find out more about that KiwiCon.org now, one of these stories in the week just been that drew my attention was apparently a H.264 decoder that runs in JavaScript. Well, it's not just runs in JavaScript. It's a natively written JavaScript decoder. Normally, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking at a, a web page with uh, HTML5 that references, uh, you know, uh, H.264 video, that runs in your browser. It's your, your browser in, in the OS, Mac, Windows, whatever. That's what's doing the H.264 decoding. Or yeah. actually, or if I, either the browser or more likely a, a plug-in to the browser, but either way. But in this case, it's actually the JavaScript, what do you call it, subsystem yep. in the browser, which is kind of weird because we always think of JavaScript as being this slow, clunky, you know, resource-intensive... Not Precisely. It's, it's JavaScript. It's there for writing little plugins that do little things on your web page, not for doing something quite as, you know, performance-intensive as decoding and displaying a media file. But that's what this, um, this Mozilla developer has done. He has released a JavaScript-based H.264 decoder. Well, that's a lesson. For next time you start laughing at JavaScript, that's a good... Indeed. You can do a lot more with JavaScript than just make text move. <laughs> yeah, and web pages go slower while they validate <laughs> stuff. If it's poorly written, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know, it, it is. there's actually quite a big difference as well in, in the uh, JavaScript performance between browsers as well. I, I think IE, I think, is really, really slow. I think it's IE anyway. I think Firefox, uh, Chrome, and uh, Safari all fairly comparable. Mm. Ah, where does Opera fit in that? Oh, actually, I don't recall. Maybe Opera was one of those too. I, I don't know. But I remember once standing right out, and I think it was IE, but I can't remember. <laughs> it, was, it was a wee while ago now. Now, here's some shocking stats. Every day, 600,000 Facebook logins are not legit logins, but compromised ones. Yeah, that is a pretty significant figure. Another pretty insignificant figure is the fact that 600,000 compromised logins is only 0.06% of all logins in a day on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> it's like a smidgen over half of 0.1%. <laughs> well, that's a lot of, uh, just doing a quick calculation here, that is 1 billion logins a day. Yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, that is that is really interesting, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, isn't that, you know, that's actually a lot of compromised logins. I mean, oh. you know, 
Yeah. It, it is a lot of compromised logins, but Facebook have said that most of that, you know, the vast majority of that is accounts that have been compromised outside of Facebook. You know, people putting their Facebook details in their email, people using the same details as an email account that has been compromised or that has been, you know, a little bit of social engineering. They've been fished to get their details, that sort of stuff. It's not actually somebody compromising Facebook's own security to access these accounts. So that at least is a good thing. But it does show you the, you know, the, the massive impact of not properly segregating out your passwords, not properly getting some security mindedness going on. Yeah, but it's a bit hard when Facebook keep defaulting back to, you know, open. Mm. But, you know, you're right. It's not it's not just Facebook's fault at all, really. I, I'm being a little cheeky there. I've just done a quick calculation while you were talking. They give you the data as well that on average, any given person logs in once every two days. Mm-hmm. So if you take that information and the 0.06%, by the way, 0, it's 0. 0.06 of a percent, not not, not as yeah. in 6%, it's 0. 0.06 of, of a percent. Of a yeah. percent yeah. So a quick calculation reveals that on average, any one person's account is hacked every 3,300 days, which is about nine years. So you've got, you know, on average, nine years for between compromised logins. Yeah, so per, as long as you person. change your password details, you know, once every once nine every years, eight years. <laughs> well, no, once every eight years, give yourself a year leeway, um, you should be fine. <laughs> as long as you're not using the same credentials as you use for your Gmail or for your login to some random website that you signed up for. This, this is kind of funny. I mean, you could just see it if, if the media pick up on us, you know. Boys of Tech recommend changing your Facebook password every eight years. <laughs> <laughs> Based on your incredibly scientific calculations there. <laughs> well, the calculations are right, but you see that the, the floor is, of course, that it's an average. And, and so for some, for, it's, for the, you know, the people who have weak passwords, they may, might be getting compromised, you know, I don't know, multiple times. Well, yeah, who knows, you know, multiple times. Yeah. Whereas, of course, there are other people whose accounts never have been, uh, and, yeah. well, we haven't had possibly eight years of Facebook, but po- yeah, possibly never will be. So it's, I think, a small minority take, you know, the 80-20 rule kind of thing. Yeah, precisely. But as an average, it's an interesting figure. Every nine years, someone's account, you know, any one person's account is hacked every nine years mm-hmm. on average. Okay, now, also, did you hear about this lost Steve Jobs interview? I did. I'm looking forward to seeing it, actually. Have you seen the pictures of the hair he had? It was like all of his hair was on his head, not on his face. (laughs) Unlike, you know, (laughs) Steve Jobs of the last couple of years. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Where all of his hair has been on his face. (laughs) That's right. The the stubble beard. A bit too long to call it stubble and uh, not long enough to call it a proper beard. But yes, yeah, you're right. And uh, the thing is, I'm used to seeing photos of Steve Jobs in yesteryear because I... I just like watching old clips of stuff and occasionally it'll be an Apple one, so. Oh, liar. You idolize Apple. Oh, rubbish. You've got a little shrine <laughs> with a little, little, picture of, little picture of Wozniak, a little picture of Jobs. <laughs> hey, you're talking to me, not Cam. <laughs> oh, you've got a little shrine. Cam's got like an entire room. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, and, and every device that ever existed, all lined yep. up, and you know, 
I, I having said that, speaking of devi- uh, Apple devices, I do have four Apple IIe's. <laughs> that all worked when I last checked. Uh, are these remnants from the, the, the giveaway from up at work? Yeah, two of them were, and the other two were, I don't know where I got the other two from. <laughs> I had a couple of those remnants from one of the giveaways. I, re- I really <laughs> wanted I one got of- rid of them ages ago. I <laughs> they re- were just taking up space. Well, I really wanted one of the signed Mac SEs. Well, no, not SE, <laughs> sorry, a Mac Classics, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, one of the signed Mac Classics. I really wanted one of those. <laughs> oh, you wanted one of the little oblong boxes. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the little, yeah. They had the, the tiny screen in them. That's right, like a not inch? nine inch. It was a nine inch, <laughs> nine I believe. Nine inch uh, black and white CRT. <laughs> were you sure they were black and white? I thought they were green. Were they green, were they? Yeah. yeah. Maybe they were green and white. I mean, green and black. Yeah, I thought they were black and green. Black and green. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, they were monochrome. How's that? Yes. <laughs> but you know, you might be right. I think they were green. They weren't orange, were they? No. No, no. I don't think they were orange. No, I think you're right. They were green, like an oscilloscope. In fact, yeah. it, it, the whole thing is a bit like an oscilloscope. Mm. But yeah, anyway, um, gosh, it's going back a while. So anyway, back to this lost Jobs, Steve Jobs interview. What this is, is that there's approximately 70 minutes of interview from a, a program back in, I think, 1995? Mm-hmm. It was an interview conducted by writer and producer Robert Cringley for his 1996 PBS miniseries Triumph of the Nerds, The Rise of Accidental Empires. And the thing is, they thought they'd lost that interview, but it was actually, I think, a copy to VHS tape, I think, and stored in someone's garage. Yeah, yeah, the director uh, of Triumph of the Nerds actually made a duplicate, VHS duplicate of it and, yeah, had it kept in his garage. And was recently dug out again. Yeah, so he contacted Gringely and, yeah, they got in touch and handed over the video. And now, apparently, it's going to go for a full theatrical release. Mm, Yeah, such is the legend of Steve Jobs. But this is crazy in a way. I mean, it's... Oh, I mean, it's completely crazy. It's it's an interview from how many years ago? How many decades? <laughs> one and a half? Yeah, one and a half decades ago. And it's purely based on the legend of Steve Jobs. It's kind of weird that it's now, but now is the time that this sort of stuff reappears. Nobody thinks about doing this sort of stuff while the people are still around. It's only afterwards, and if they are of such of a significant, you know, factor within the environment or within a specific industry, that these sorts of things start showing up. It's kind of weird, though, that they're doing uh, they're releasing it at the theatre. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been a television release. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Uh, like a new program. Yeah, a television doco that. Uh Oh, well, the whole, it will almost certainly turn up on television. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it will, but yeah. It'll it, go, go through its theatrical release and then it will turn up on televisions, on our TV screens all around the world. Well, apparently it's scheduled to screen in 19 cities in the US and I don't know when, when it's coming anywhere else, but you can probably get it on P2P. No, I didn't say that, but that's probably the truth of it. <laughs> well, and, yes. and that's that's going to be, I think, two days only, November 16 and 17. Uh, unless you are in Palo Alto, where the film will screen all the way through till the 22nd. Oh, is that right? Yep. Where Jobs lived. Have you seen his plans for the new Cupertino uh, campus that he, that he was, uh, you know, working on before, just before his death? Uh, no. Looks like a massive UFO has landed. 
It's quite cool. Oh, wait, no, I think I have seen a, a artist concept of that. Yeah, and actually, I was. Quite, it did look like a, a UFO surrounded by what, like parklands. Yeah, and, and this—it's one building that will house twelve thousand people. Ooh, that's insane. Is that bigger than the Pentagon? Well, I don't know. I think it is. I mean, I've seen the Pentagon, and it just—I don't know. I, this isn't the Pentagon one of the biggest buildings? Is it though? It is big. Walks. Yeah, no, it is big. Actually, it's, it, you know, it's it's like several like layers real, deep as well. Three or four. Yeah, it's three or four stories, and yeah. it's. Several layers <laughs> deep, and yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, anyway, and the thing is, the thing I was impressed with, and I because I watched uh, uh, actually, here's one of the things I was telling you, I watch video clips, and occasionally some of them contain Steve Jobs. Well, one of them was the last appearance of Steve Jobs, and that was at the uh, the Cupertino City Council, and uh, it was a hearing uh, about the uh about the plans for this new campus and he was taking you through the plans and how Apple sees it it's going to be and so on and it was really impressive to see that there's going to be a lot of parkland a lot of landscaping a lot of trees a lot of grass a lot of you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then that's really nice so you know it's, yeah. it's good it's not, it's not going to be a concrete jungle yeah I want to know who, who they got to design it do you think it was Ives <laughs> yeah and I'm surprised it wasn't in the shape of an apple. <laughs> the thing is, I want to know. Because then, you know, <laughs> when Google Earth is coming across, they'll come across that part of America and there'll be an apple symbol on the ground. I want to know their new address because currently they live at, uh, well, they live, the, the headquarters are at One Infinite Loop. And that is an awesome name, you know, it from is. a programming point of view, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so what's the new address going to be? Is it going to be just as cool or? I don't know. Are they building it in in the same place? No, no. They, it's this is going in a a whole new uh, section. They've they actually bought a whole heap of land and they're going to demolish a whole heap of old uh, buildings and 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 whatnot that they look like a concrete well, in which jungle. Case it'll be one Steve Jobs way. <laughs> I don't know that it will, <laughs> but you never know. Now the, the Pentagon. You're talking about the Pentagon, according to Wikipedia, where everything is accurate. It's the world's largest office building by floor area, so it'll be interesting to see how the new Apple campus compares with that. Mm. And it's uh, apparently 23,000 military and civilian employees plus 3,000 non-defense support personnel work in the Pentagon. So that's a total of 26,000. So that's uh, okay, twice. Okay, so that's significantly more than what you were talking about. Well, so- in terms of employees, that's right. It depends how much space, you know, if, if every... Apple engineer has twice as much space as uh, mm. a Pentagon worker, then then you, you're at the same number. But no, I think you might be <laughs> right about this. I wonder if the Pentagon will still keep, if, you know, if Apple does have that bigger office space in there with this building, will the Pentagon still retain the most toilets above code <laughs> of any office building? Most toilets above code? Yeah, well, you know how there's uh, there's building code requirements for the number of toilets per floor, per area. Per building, per employee. Oh, I see. Yeah, but, above the standard. But, yeah, so it's got yeah, twice. And, and yeah, yeah they, <laughs> the Pentagon has way above that code because it was designed back when there was still racial segregation of different things, like different toilets for different races. So it was designed then, but it was built after all of those changes came in to remove. Oh, I see. But it was already designed, so they. But it was already designed, so they still all had these. All these toilets, so that's why it's got Well, well that's interesting. I didn't know that because I thought the reason <laughs> they had all those toilets. But then again, this was something that I read on Wikipedia, and so we know that it's true. 
So it might not be. <laughs> well, that is interesting because I thought the reason they had all those toilets is because the people that work there are all full of... Anyway, the thing is, <laughs> the, the, the Pentagon <laughs> was a lot smaller than I expected when I when I saw it. But yeah, you, you have to remember, I guess, you're just seeing the outside. You, you don't see the, the four or five layers, I think it is, isn't it? Five yep. layers deep. So and, and you only see kind of one or two sides at once and you forget yeah. that this whole thing is, you know, goes right around in the shape of a Pentagon. So... But yeah, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, well, yeah, okay, it's it's big. It's not that big. But yeah, it was and is. All right, how do we get on to that? The Pentagon. Uh, so yeah, uh, where were you? The Steve Jobs thing. Yeah, okay. So w- if it comes to New Zealand, are you going to watch this? Are you going to go? Uh, I might not go in the theatre, but I'll watch it when it's on telly. Yeah, I might, I might go to the theatre because, you know, only because I actually don't go to the theatre because I'm not really into movies much. And so this would be one th- excuse so to go, go to, to the, the theatre to watch a documentary. Well, well, it's not even a documentary. It's an interview. <laughs> well, it's but, 17 minutes worth of a dude talking to Steve Jobs uh, about tech and him leaving Apple and creating Next. Well, look, I tell you what, I seem to remember the last movie I saw at the theatre was, in fact, a documentary. Yeah. I can't recall what it might have been because, I, like I say, I go so infrequently to the theatre. The theatre or the cinema? It's really the cinema, isn't it? You know, uh, yeah, people call them the same thing. But yeah, it, it is actually a cinema. Yeah, though the reason I say that is because I was at the Opera House. Which and, is and, a theatre. Which is a theatre, yeah, and it's, it's still in my mind. When I say theatre, I think of stage. But anyway, well, what else can we talk about? We can talk about Android phones. Here's one. You know, I was hoping that uh, Cam would, would be on the show for for this because <laughs> he would have picked the story out and if, if he didn't then I'd have to do it for him a story here reporting that Android phones although they sell more than Apple phones we know that from a previous podcast mm-hmm. or two apparently they break more often as well well they're also significantly cheaper when you look at the, the you know a large number of those will be incredibly cheap models that some no name manufacturer will have put together and then stuck Android on. Because one of the things with Android is the fact that the manufacturer can control so much of what they put on of Android. It means that the specifications of an Android device vary widely. So you've got really low-end Android phones, which are, you know, the, the bare minimum of a smartphone and are incredibly cheap. And relatively cheaply made to the high-end Android phones by name brand companies who've put in time and effort and high-end hardware and it's running Android as well. So that's the one of the beauties of Android is that massive flexibility. But it does mean you get these situations like, as this story indicates, that Android phones are definitely the ones that break the most because there are more of them cheaper. Yeah, so that brings the average down. I mean, you're right. You can get phones for, you know, roughly 100 US dollars, a little more than 120 in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. That does really bring the, the average down. By the way, that's only 70 euros. Gosh, that sounds so cheap, doesn't it? It does. 60 it pounds. Does. How's that? And, Second- that's, and that's a machine that's running the Android OS because the Android will run on that. <laughs> Yeah, so that does bring the average down. And so that's where you got to, to look at these stats and go, well, okay, 
how, what are they looking at here? So, so you're right. I think your, your average HTC uh, or whatever, Samsung and so on, and I don't think they are any less reliable uh, than Apple. Apple and, 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 yeah, and the, the, in fact, probably even better. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the other thing you've got to think of is with this, with these stats, is you can't just go, oh, it shows you how unreliable Android phones are, nah, blah, 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 as some people might say. You've got to look at it there from the mentality of the people. When you have a $50 phone or a $100 phone, you're going to treat it significantly, you know, less than you would uh, one that you've paid six, seven, a $1,000 for. That phone, you're going to treat better. You're going to actually pay attention to where you're putting it, what what sort of case it's in, what pocket you're putting it in, where is it going in your bag. For a $100 phone, that thing's like you're tossing it around, you throw it onto your bed, you throw it onto your desk, You, it doesn't matter if you bump it, these sorts of things. It's part of that mentality of if, if it's cheap, it doesn't have much inherent value to you, so you don't treat it with as much care. So it's actually a cumulative thing here because it's it's probably not so well built to start with, and as you're saying, you don't give it the same care so it's even less likely now to last long. So, yep. yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. Those those do bring down the stats. Precisely. It's but, the same as if you've just spent $100,000 on a Lamborghini. You're going to treat it a little better than the $2,000 secondhand car that you bought. You might actually take it in for servicing. You know what? If I had an expensive car, I don't think I'd actually drive it. Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. I don't think I'd actually drive Not it. Not around Wellington. No, Not all these hills, <laughs> no. the tiny, tiny streets. Hills, bumps, and narrow roads. The, yeah, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> narrow car and You parts. definitely wouldn't want to drive it in Auckland. They're crazy. Yeah, well, at least they have wide roads, though. That's the one thing. They have wide <laughs> they roads in Auckland. They do have wider roads. Now, uh, that's pretty much all I had, Brian. Unless you wanted to, uh, at least for the world section, did, did you want to, is there any other stories you wanted to talk about? Well, it's a, more an interesting piece of random research. It seems that the weight of all of the electrons in motion that make up the internet at any one moment is about the weight of a strawberry. Is that right? The weight of the internet is about 50 grams. Yeah. Actually, I did see that. I'm glad you... Thanks for raising that. That's that's awesome. The weight (laughs) of the internet is 50 grams. At any one moment, it's about the weight of the strawberry, about 50 grams. How cool is that? Random science. It serves no purpose whatsoever, but somebody spent time working that out. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like those stats. Actually, I I think that really should be, though, the weight of the uh, data on the internet, right? Yes. The the data in in, in transit as well, because the individual particles that make up hard disks and so on, on, on which you know, uh, internet content lives, that would probably add up to, to quite a bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. This mm. is just, this is purely the weight of the electrons in motion at any given moment. So in other words, <laughs> carrying your data that's yep. currently going between places. Wow, cool. 50 grams, not a lot. <laughs> not a lot, but a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is a, you get a lot of electrons for, for 50 grams. You get grams. a lot of electrons per gram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for raising that. I'm I'm pleased you did actually because I, no. I I would have forgotten that. Is it was there anything else? Ah, uh, no, 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 nothing else interesting in that. Other than gaming related, I 
have recently finished the latest edition of Uncharted, Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. And it lives up to its name. It lives up to its IP. It was brilliant. So you would, you would recommend it? Oh, yeah. If you, if you liked Uncharted or Uncharted 2, then you'll like Uncharted 3. You can't not. It's brilliant. And if you love Indiana Jones and those sorts of Saturday matinee adventure, then you'll like those games too. That actually could be a game for a non-gamer like me. Could be. Could be. It's very fun. All right, so it has your blessing, Brett. So uh, that's good news for prospective gamers out there because I know, Brett, you're a hardcore gamer. Mm-hmm. If you like it, others will. Has the, had the, have the reviews come out? Um, oh, yeah, it's had lots of really good reviews. Rave reviews? Yeah. Right, okay. Good stuff. Well, thank you for plugging that. Any, anything else while we're there? Can we go for three? <laughs> Can we go for a hat trick? Um, mm, mm, no, I can't think of. I, I haven't played any other games other than Uncharted 3 since it came out on Wednesday. Oh, well, we'll leave it at that then for the uh, international section. But I do have a couple of stories to talk about that are New Zealand specific, and we'll do that right after this. Welcome back, everyone. Now, a couple of stories for New Zealand. First of all, the first of the internet copyright infringement notices roll on in. Ah, part of our Skynet law. Yes. So, you know what, though? The more I, th- the more I learn about how, how this law is, and there was quite a bit of that at KiwiCon, the more I'm actually warming to it. Edwin. No, no, how, I'm serious. No, how no, no. could you be warming to such a draconian piece of legislation? It is, it is not that dra- draconian because w- what it is is the rights owners lodge a complaint saying, you know, uh, this IP has downloaded whatever. Now, first of all, you've got to remember you do have three strikes. Let me get into the detail in a second, but there are three strikes, right? So the first is just a, a notice of detection. So saying we've detected something, right? And it's up to you whether you clean up your act or not. The second one is actually a warning, and the third one is is where it goes to the to the tribunal. And yeah, you could be sentenced, you could be fined. That could be a sentence, uh, a payment of a fine. But the thing is, when you receive a notice, you, you can challenge it for a start. And not only that, but you don't have to prove that you didn't do it. And I think you can demand to see the evidence on which the uh, you know the rights owners are, are claiming that 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 you did uh, that you did the deed. So it's actually not that draconian because if you think and of- how much does that cost the suspected person? I don't. How know- much does that cost the customer to actually try and challenge that? It doesn't. You don't pay yes, a cent. You are charged by the copyright tribunal if you take stuff to them. It's like if you lose. You not only pay whatever fine they yeah, whatever like if, fine they set up, if, if you if also you lose, pay absolutely. every twenty five dollar that the copyright holder had to pay to the you know the ISP. But you also have to pay the tribunal fees. You're saying if you lose, but what I'm saying is that during the process, if you're challenging something, and they can also put a counter challenge as well. But if during that, during that process, you, you're not paying anything. So if you didn't do it, and you can put up a good argument that it wasn't you. The only thing is, if it was you, then you, you get what's coming. I mean, that's the law. I really want to see this go through. I want to see this challenged because I. how do you challenge this? How do you prove that you're not? 
how does your average ordinary parent prove that it didn't happen? Well, okay, this is this is the thing, and that this question was actually raised at the KiwiCon conference. How do you prove that you didn't do something? Well, it's not so much about proving that you didn't do it in, in the sense that, like, you know, in the uh, conventional sense by saying, oh, well, it wasn't me because I didn't use a computer. You know, it's, it's not like that. What you do is you look at the evidence and you can, as I said, you request this, you can look at the evidence on which the rights owner is basing their claim. And if it really wasn't you, you should be able to, you know, demonstrate otherwise. You, you, you're more challenging, uh, if you like, proving the fact that their evidence isn't right. And by knowing what their evidence is, you can form your argument. So you're not just saying, oh, it wasn't me because, and I can't prove that I didn't do it because you can't prove you didn't do something. You're actually looking at the evidence that they're mm. saying and saying, well, look, if, if they say, here, this is why we say it's you, you can then look at that and go, ah, okay, well, you see, that's wrong and that's wrong or, or, or whatever it is. And you should be able to do it if it really, really wasn't you. You, you should be able to look uh, at that. I am not convinced. I'm not convinced. Knowing uh, the different ways that people can compromise computer networks, that people can spoof IP addresses, that proving that something wasn't you when it says that that is your IP address and your ISP says that was your IP address, though somebody else had spoofed that IP address somewhere in the middle, then how do you prove that? It's this part of this technology. This technology and the logs and everything that it tracks is so ephemeral. It's not hard and fast. It's not guaranteed. It is alterable. It is changeable. Well, I do suspect that the ISP, I mean, if you, if you really believed that the, perhaps your IP address was spoofed because you know it wasn't you, you, knew, you, knew, you know that your computer wasn't even on then, and, well, no devices were on your internet connection then, mm-hmm. and, and that the only reason could have been that your IP was spoofed, surely that's where you go then to the, to the uh, to, and, and challenge, look at the uh, evidence that the uh, ISP has given, you know? Like, how, do they know that that IP was assigned to you at the time, assigned to your address? Because if they've got no traffic coming to and from that address to, you know, that match what the rights owners are saying, then, then yeah, sure, it wasn't you. I don't know. I, all I'm saying is this. I don't think it's as draconian as people make out. I don't think it's, it, uh, it's better than the law was first proposed or how it was first proposed. <laughs> it's only marginally better. Let's see how this plays out because I've actually got a positive feeling about it. <laughs> I think there are going to be a lot of parents who get in trouble for what their kids do. Yeah, look, I t- look. This is—I'll be honest here. Where, where I'm not so sure about this is the grey area of your IP address did it. In other words, your internet connection did it, but who in the household was responsible? That—that's there, there to me is very grey, and I, I can't quite see how how that's going to play out. But certainly, if it wasn't your connection at all. That's where I think, and, and you know what we discussed just before. Mm. That's where I think that it's actually okay. It's an okay piece of legislation. <laughs> but, but yeah, if it's if it's like, well, okay, there's three of us that live here who did it, kind of thing. Well, indeed, it's three of us who live here. It's three of us who live here, and our child's friends who come over. Yeah, look, and then that is hard, and, and you know. But then again, I, I don't quite know how this law works for minors, but I know that in general, you know, parents are responsible for the activities of minors so uh precisely 
But I mean, that's no different though. As I say, this is no different to say a 10-year-old going and smashing up a car with a baseball bat. You can't stop your kids from doing that. Hopefully you raise them not to, but if they do, you have to pay. And, and you, you know, we don't have a situation where parents are crying foul over this law that if their kid smashes a car with a baseball bat, the parents are the one they have to pay. Well, well yeah, but th- the parent will pay. What will the parent pay? The parent will pay for the replacement costs of fixing the, the car window. With this, what is the parent paying? The parent isn't paying the $1.99 for the song. The parent is paying up to $15,000 fine for, oh, you're a naughty pirate. Actually, I'm not so sure, though. If a kid smashed up a car, if it was just a, you know, settled out of court between the car owner and the parents, they look, I'm sorry, that was my child. I'll, I'll pay. How much is it going to cost to fix? But if it was a case that went to the police and the police uh, laid charges, I don't know. I think you might find that they, you might even have to pay court costs and all. And, uh, well, you might have to pay court costs, but you wouldn't then be fined on top of that, would you? I don't know. Otherwise, that sounds incredibly draconian and ridiculous, because once again, then you're punishing the parent for something they could not control. This is an area that I, that I know not enough about, but I, I don't know. And this, this, this law is going to be getting... That's the the point of this law. This law is going to be getting your average Joe, your average Joe parent. Because, well, what are the top number of songs that are being downloaded? They're Rihanna and Lady Gaga. So these are teenage, teenagers are the largest consumer of these sorts of songs, especially from these particular artists. So you're going to be punishing the parents for things that they, how are they supposed to control? Well, look, I, let's see how this and you, pans out. You cannot tell me that the recording industry will not be going for $15,000 fines as the starting point. The max is the starting point, not the you pay us the, well, you downloaded four songs, we want no, our no, five No, buttons. no, there are limits, there are limits. And, and, and this was covered as well because the, uh, the rights owners can only claim for what it would cost for you to download that legally. If it's not available as a download, they can then demand charges for obtaining that material in another format, such as a DVD or a, or a CD or even a cassette if you can still get it, but probably not, or vinyl for that matter. Actually, you can still get vinyl. And if it's still not available in any of those formats, then they can demand a charge that, that they see fit. But let's let's not get too hung up at that, about that last category. We're talking about stuff, especially that the two you mentioned, Lady Gaga and Rihanna, uh, they are available legally, so the most they can charge is a dollar, whatever it is in New Zealand, dollar seventy nine from iTunes. That's all they can ask per track. Then what is this fifteen thousand dollar fine? That's that is bandied around. What that, is this fifteen thousand dollar extra slap on the wrist? Fifteen thousand dollars is the maximum that you can be charged in one case. So in one case of, of file sharing. So if you shared it twenty thousand times, you're not getting charged. You know, uh, twenty thousand times a dollar eighty, which will be whatever that is, thirty-seven thousand dollars. You'll be charged fifteen thousand. That's the mo- most per offence. Hmm. I don't know. It's. I will wait to see what the first cases go like because it it still seems completely wrong to me. Well, it's, like a- it's a flawed system. It's not like any of the systems that we discussed the many, many, many times we discussed copyright law and copyright protection and protecting people's IP. We discussed many ways which were legitimate and fair and actually had burdens of proof 
not proof that you were guilty, not having to prove that you were innocent. Yeah, yeah, but hang on a sec. Like I said earlier, you're not. it's not totally that you have to prove you're, you're innocent because the, the rights owner who is making the complaint has to provide some form of evidence. And okay, yes, you can challenge that. But what I'm saying is they can't just go empty hand and go, oh, uh, person A downloaded track B, you know, go give them a warning. No, no, it's like they have to say, here's the evidence we have that this person, Joe Bloggs, has downloaded whatever from Lady Gaga. Right, so that they have to go in with something. Now, of course, and that's and and in any, sort of in any other law, in any other law, it's the same thing because you know you get a prosecutor that says we've got evidence that you stole this bag of potato chips from that shop, and at that point, if it really wasn't you, it's not a case that you have to suddenly. Well, once again, we're going to points. You're arguing points that go from an electronic source of evidence to actual physical evidence of some variety. There is a difference between being able to physically prove something and basing all of your information on stuff which is changeable. The intangible logs and electronic data that pass over the internet. I guess what I'm saying is that it's... I want to see what this first lot of evidence looks like to see if... You know, okay, if it let's, let's my wait. master for that, <laughs> I believe, can be legitimate evidence or that is something that is inherently flawed and the possibility of that being tampered with is... Okay, let's see how it goes on. Let, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, let's agree to sit back and watch how these uh, unfold and then we'll make up our minds in. Before I move on, though, can I just quickly mention uh, the cases that have come forward? Telecom received 42 notices, 35 of them for allegedly downloading songs by Rihanna and six for uh, Lady Gaga. Didn't Telstra Clare also get some? Uh, Orcon and Telstra Clare yep. and Vodafone also said that they'd received some as well. Yep, Telstra Clare got 27. 27, was it, for Telstra Clare? Right. Okay, and uh, the only other New Zealand story I wanted to mention was the release date for the iPhone 4S has been announced November 11th. Brett, I expect you'll be straight down the shop on that day. Yeah, why? Because <laughs> you want to upgrade your iPhone? Why? I don't know. You tell me. Are you going to? No, are you going to go for a Samsung? My iPhone 4 works perfectly fine. You're not going to upgrade to a 4S? No. Why? Dual, dual core? My, my- my, my iPhone 4 works perfectly fine. <laughs> I suppose one good reason not to, though, is you wouldn't be able to use Siri because uh, already it's been uh, mentioned that the New Zealand accent won't work so well. Same as the Australian <laughs> accent, apparently. Yeah. And we, I, I think we predicted this anyway on, on Boys of Tech last week. But, you know, it's dual core, Brad. Better hardware. So? Your phone works perfectly fine. Indeed, my phone works perfectly fine. All of the applications run perfectly fine. How am I going to, am I going to get an extra five seconds out of anything? Or is it like an extra five milliseconds? Oh, extra five milliseconds. Yay. I don't care. (laughs) Unless you can prove a significant increase or a significant boost to performance or something else, I have no reason to get an iPhone 4S. I am not an Apple fanboy. You know, I'm I do a, I'm not actually, need to upgrade from my <laughs> iPhone 4. I'm actually pleasantly surprised that you've said that because I've seen people do this as well, not just individuals, but organizations. It's like the next version of whatever comes out, oh, we must get this. Uh, why? You know, Precisely. If, you've, if you've got a good reason, it, by all means, go ahead. Oh, yeah. But if you if got you've a, got a legitimate reason to upgrade, if there is a legitimate performance boost to your usage of the device, then 
by all means, upgrade. But if there is not, and the only reason you're going to upgrade is because it's brand new shiny, and your brand new shiny is already last year's brand new shiny, then you're a fanboy. And you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money. (laughs) (laughs) All right, sound advice there from the boys of tech. Brett, I want to thank you very much for making episode 141 a fantastic one. Always a pleasure, Ed. All right, and for all the listeners out there, we hope to have you again next week. Thank you very much for listening to New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. And if you really like the show, why not really consider sending us a donation? You can do that on our website at boysoftech.com. You can uh, make your payment there via PayPal. If you want to find me on Twitter, Edwin Herman, the show on Twitter is Boys of Tech, and Brett isn't on Twitter at all. Did I do that right, Brett? Yes, indeed. I am still not on Twitter. Okay. Good on you. And I'm still not on (laughs) on Facebook. All right, well, thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.